Good morning, church. It's a joy to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, My wife and I and two sons, we love this church. Um, And so my wife and two sons are jealous that they can't be with with me this morning. Here they are still in Southeast Asia. And um, so I I talked to them last night. Um, My wife is trying to be happy for me. She's doing a good job, but it still hurts sometimes. Uh, We love San Francisco. We love this church body. It's exciting to see some familiar faces and see a lot of new faces. Uh, That's always a good thing for a church. Um, We do serve in Southeast Asia in a large city. Um, It's a city that's very multicultural, multireligious, multilingual. Um, it's always got surprising new challenges for us. It's a growing city. Um, it's growing so fast that just to keep pace with the Christian population, we really need to plant a church, a new church of 50 people every day just to stay at pace. So we have our work cut out for us there. Um, I want to start with a word of prayer, but before I do so, I'd like for you to join me in praying for the world where families. Both of these families are from another part of the world where to be a Christian is illegal. And they have fled to Malaysia because there were threats against their life. So pray for our team there as they make wise decisions and knowing how to serve them and help them how to shield them, uh, provide refuge for them, but in the midst of that, that Christ would be their cornerstone. So will you join me in prayer? God, we, we thank you that your love has no boundaries, that your arm is mighty to save in the most difficult parts of the world. Father, we thank you for the freedom to gather together this morning, the freedom to sing out loud, the freedom to proclaim the gospel freely. God, we thank you that we have an opportunity to gather with family and praise your name. God, we pray for those who do not have that privilege this morning. God, we pray for those that are huddled in secret still praying, crying out to you. God, I pray that you would be their strength in the midst of their weakness. God, we pray for these two families in particular. God, we pray for wisdom for them as they make decisions about their next steps. Pray for wisdom for our team as they seek to help these families. Pray for favor with different government authorities that would allow them a place to live where they are no longer under threat. God, we pray most of all that this peace that you give that transcends all understanding would rest deeply in their hearts. God, as we read from your word, we ask that you would teach us this morning, that you would mold us more into your likeness and less into the world's likeness. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. This morning, I would like to preach, uh, talk about Isaiah 60. 
In our part of the world, we refer to it as Isaiah. So whatever you're more comfortable with, Isaiah, Isaiah. Uh, if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60. I sometimes like to call it the gospel of Isaiah because it's just riddled with good news from chapter 1 to chapter 66. So I'm going to read the chapter and then we'll go through it um, part by part. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are those that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make, your majestic, make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of the nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. And, am, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. 
instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace in your taskmaster's righteousness. Violence shall be no more heard in your land. Devastation and destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more. Your light by day, nor your brightness shall, be, shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, no, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. How do we make an impact in our world when it seems like the odds are against us? It can seem sometimes that society all around us is moving further away from God, less morally rooted than ever, more self-absorbed than ever. In fact, Um, I was just with a friend in another Southeast Asian nation, and she was telling me the word that they use for selfie in their language, and it was roughly translated, it was picture for narcissists. (laughs) If you took a selfie this morning, um, yeah. That country has the highest number of selfies of any country, so maybe it's a fitting term. I live in a city where the Christian population is about 2% of the population. The percentages here, I think, may be fairly similar. This means that the dominant influences in just about every sphere of life are drawing people away from the soul worship of God the one we know through the Bible. These realities are even more heartbreaking for us when we see family members being drawn, even sucked away into these other um, idolatries, other forms of worship. It's even more heartbreaking when it's we ourselves being drawn and sucked away into these other forms of idolatry. And I think if we're honest, every single one of us faces that. This was the mood during the time of Isaiah in his ministry in Israel. One empire after another threatens Israel and seeks to draw Israel away from from relying on God. The Assyrians, after that the Babylonians, after that the Persians, each more powerful than the previous one. They had Israel cowering resorting to compromises to appease these powers, these outside forces. But more troubling was the fact that among the Israelite people, they were being drawn into selfish pursuits. 
and also to worship of other gods or idols, being drawn by temporal things, being drawn into forms of oppression and exploitation of others. In fact, the previous chapter of Isaiah, if you want to look just briefly in Isaiah 59, the first 15 verses lay out uh, in just very strong terms humanity's reality. Verses 2 and 3 say this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. A separation between you and your God. Verse 9 says, therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. These strong words can leave us feeling hopeless, despairing. How do we overcome this? How do we fight against the odds? So this morning, I want to unpack Isaiah chapter 60 a little bit as we look for hope in this passage. Uh, There are three things that I I hope will happen through this. One is that I hope you'll grow more comfortable reading and understanding the Old Testament prophets. Um, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, but I know that for a long time I struggled to read the prophets. And so I hope by walking through this a little bit, it may help give you some handles in understanding the book of Isaiah a little bit better. There was recently a study, a survey done, and it was the prophets in the Old Testament that were most difficult for Christians to understand. Secondly, that you'll have an increased vision for God's desire that all peoples, all nations come to know him as the true creator God and as our savior. And then thirdly, that you will live today through faith in Jesus in light of the hope offered in this rich passage. So this chapter is a poem celebrating what God is going to do. If you really want to simplify the book of Isaiah, you can simplify it this way. It's a tale of two cities. Uh, The two cities are Jerusalem and Jerusalem. And now that's not a, I'm not trying to be tricky. It's the Jerusalem that they are living in during their day. It's a, it's a Jerusalem that's riddled with injustice, with personal moral failure and corporate moral failure. And then the new Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 60 is pointing us to this new Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Isaiah, it goes back and forth bringing contrast to where people are at, where we are at, and what God is going to do. And so we have a a beautiful passage here describing what God is going to do. And so let's look at the first nine verses in chapter 60. God's glory shines, drawing the nations out of darkness. We begin with a command 
arise, shine. This is a fulfillment of the promise following the judgment from God. Even in chapter 1 of Isaiah, it says in verses 25 to 27, I will turn my hand against you and you will smelt away with your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at, for, as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But we're given this command to arise and shine and then immediately in verse 2 we're reminded that the nations dwell in darkness. Darkness covers the earth. We, we heard from Isaiah chapter 59 that this is the reality. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament quotes from Isaiah 59. These, some of these same verses describing that all of humanity, this is their reality. That they are innately rebellious against the holiness of God. In this passage, though, we're not left in this darkness that covers the earth, but we're actually given this vision of the nations coming to the New Jerusalem. It's a reversal of the scattering of the nations, taking wealth away from the, the old Jerusalem. And so in verse 6, we have camels of Median and Ephah carrying gold and frankincense. Gold and frankincense strike any memory? Yeah, with the Christmas story. I've worked with Arabs and I've worked with Persians. And each will claim that those wise men bringing those gifts are definitely with, with absolute certainty either from Arabia or from Persia. I'll let them work out those differences. Sons of Ab- these are some sons of Abraham through Keturah. This is the, the old family of Abraham. The ones that were separated from the family. There was this promise in Genesis 12 that all nations on earth would be blessed through the family of Abraham. And here we see this promise is going to be fulfilled. The flocks of Kedar, the rams of Nebaioth, grandsons of Abraham through Ishmael. These are, they settled in areas that we now would look at as the cradle of Islam around the world. The ships of Tarshish, if you really need a tongue twister for the rest of the afternoon, try to say Tarshish a lot of times in a row. The point is that God's plan is for all the nations to represent his, in his kingdom, and in particular those listed here represent the part of the world where Islam was birthed. God's love for all nations and desire to see them come back into, his family of God, into the family of God is really clear in this. For what? In verse 9, the second part of it, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. This is for the glory of God. It is he who beautifies us. Let's look at the middle part of the chapter, 
verses 10 to 16, Zion, or the New Jerusalem, is the point towards which God's people are moving. And this is maybe part of what makes Isaiah confusing for people is there are multiple different terms used for the same thing. And so at some points it says Zion. At some point it says Jerusalem. At some points it says Holy Mountain. And yes, there are distinctions, but more or less they're referring to the same thing. The new Jerusalem, the city that God is building will become the society that God has always intended. Uh, There are some that say that the biblical story begins in a garden and ends in a city. And we see that in the book of Isaiah. This new city is more beautiful because of that God is orchestrating that contribute to its beauty. It is something that God is orchestrating. But we are reminded in verse 11 that security is in God's hands and not our own. And only those submitted to God may enter. We are naturally prone to obey or bow down to other voices, sometimes even our own. When, uh, we, when our family lived in um, Indonesia... Our oldest son was about three years old. We were living on the island of Sumatra at the time. We were doing um, relief after the tsunami struck at the end of 2004. And there was another American family working for a, a Christian NGO there that had come over for dinner. And they had a daughter who was also about three years old. Our, our three-year-old son at that point was... Um, I can't remember what it was about, but he was being obstinate. Uh, my wife was telling him something he needed to do, and he was saying no. He was arguing at the table. And so then this other three-year-old girl says, you not the boss. You mommy the boss. <laughs> and for some reason, that's always stuck with our family, and so we say it periodically to each other. I think my wife and I get a bigger kick out of it than our kids do. But really, we're not that different as adults. We regularly forget who the boss is. We're not the boss. We must turn to God as our boss. God's end game is that all the nations gather around God's glory rather than our own glory. Gathering around for our own glory would be a very short-lived endeavor. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel. So we go on to the last part of this chapter. There's so much more in this chapter I'd like to, to pull out. And so I'd encourage you to study this more deeply later. But we don't have time this morning. Or at least that's what I'm told. If you want to stay longer, you know, let me know. Um, Verses 17 to 22. Our future with God guides how we live today. These aren't just uh, pie-in-the-sky promises for us. They actually help inform how we should live today. 
peace is our guard and righteousness is our ruler. What we're moving towards is a city like no other. Violence and corruption are hallmarks of every human society. They are absent in this new city. That is a remarkable difference. God's presence is transformative. This is a challenge to us because I think as the church, we are too content to look and sound like the world around us. If we're not careful, we can be just as corrupt, just as unjust, just as bought into the things that go on around us. Yesterday, I was shopping for the necessities that we need on the field, like sour gummy candy and hot tamales. One of my wife's favorites. Um, So it gives me a warm welcome when I come back if I have hot tamales in my hand. We were um, at, a, I think, a Walgreens checking out, and there was a magazine, I think it was like a People magazine or something like that. And the cover story was about a celebrity. It really doesn't matter which celebrity, because I think this is a pretty regular occurrence. But it was a celebrity, a young lady whose life is falling apart. And it, it sort of, the, the headline sounded like, we really care And yet, it's just rank exploitation of her life. There's nothing about that article that is actually going to help her in her life. Um, As Christians, I think we do a couple of things. I think, one, we, we, we involve our own lives in those types of things. But we also do it to each other. Sometimes even under the guise of a prayer request. You know what's happening to so-and-so, you won't believe it. Instead of really loving on and caring for one another, this is where we as the church should be different than society around us. For us, the standard is what we see here in Isaiah 60, not the world around us. But how do we do that? It's clear in this chapter that the only resource for doing that is through God. We can only do that as we enter God's presence. Like the old hymn says, I need thee every hour. The second verse goes like this. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art high. We must call on God at every point in our lives. God's presence ensures a beautiful society. No more sorrow, no more worry, no more having to pay the bills or saving for the future. We dwell peacefully in God's presence. The, some of the description of this future that we see in Isaiah 60, we see repeated again in Revelation 21 and 22. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's such an intricate tapestry. From beginning to end, it's, it's one story with such terrific 
topography along the way. In verse 21, there's an indication that all the residents of this new city are to be righteous. Well, we read from Isaiah chapter 59 earlier. Romans 3 says it as clearly as one can say it. No one is righteous. No, not one. So we've got a problem. We have a dilemma here. That if this is for the righteous and we're not righteous, then it must not be for us. And how do we deal with that? How do we reconcile that? Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's repeating again Isaiah 59.2. If this is true, and our, the human record indicates that it is true uh, in every way, then uh, it would seem that we are cut out from this glorious future with God. So if you will, turn back with me to Isaiah 59 for just a second. And let's look at verses 15 and 16. So track with me here. This, is, this takes a little bit of working around, but I think it's, it's a point that is, it's just gold. It's, it's huge for us to understand this. It says, truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. God saw that there was separation. We saw in verse 2 that there is separation between us and God. And God saw that there was separation and that there was no one to intercede. And so then God made the next move. The word intercede here is, I mean, it's a cool word. And um, one way to define it is to cover the breach, to cover the separation. It's what verse 15, one who covers the separation. And that's what verse 15 is saying, is God recognized that there was a gap between us and God and that he would cover the separation. A few chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 53, a well-known chapter, we are told of one who will do just this, a man sent by God to bear our transgressions. At the end of chapter 53, it says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's the same word. The one who intercedes. The one who covers the breach. In other words, the beautiful future that's described in Isaiah 60 is only possible because of what's described in Isaiah 53. Those can't be separated from each other. They are intricately intertwined. This incredible passage 
It's telling us about the coming of Jesus Christ, who would come and pour out his soul unto death. Not just as an example, but his death covered the breach between us and God. How incredible is that? That God made the move. He did what we could not do. And so it is now for us simply to respond. We shift our trust from trust in ourselves or trust in other failing things to trust in Jesus. There's no self-help book. There's no meditation plan. There's nothing that can come close to replacing that transformation that Jesus can bring. It is God creating us new from within through our faith in Jesus because of the intercession he's made for us. So how do we respond? What are our takeaways from this? I have three things. They are this. Hope in the midst of hopelessness. The world around us presents challenges that are beyond. And our world just plunges. And our world just plunges us deeper into greed, corruption, selfishness, idolatry, pride, deceit, violence. I was just reading this morning about the the amount of stuff we have as Americans. The average American may have a two-car garage, but they can't park their cars in it because they have so much stuff. And it, it can seem like a, um, an innocent thing, but the, re, the behind it is that we are giving ourselves to other pursuits. Some put their hope in education. But how often do you and I know the right things to do and we still don't do it? Some have just given up and tried to get the most out of life personally. This is also a dead end. It would end up in complete anarchy if everyone lived that way. But more problematic is we realize that the problem with the world isn't just outside, but it actually is within us as well. That we must lay aside our silly, prideful, false hopes, submit to God, bow down to him, put our trust in his ways. In another part of Isaiah, it says that his ways are higher than our ways. And that is for us to consider this morning. How do we, coming from each of our lives, how do we place our trust in God? Secondly, every culture, ethnic group, has a part in God's plan. I love that this passage describes each of the nations bringing treasure to the new city. You see that again repeated in Revelation. Um, Every nature, every culture, every nation has a part in God's plan. God loves all people around the world. 
And so how do we live in such a way that we are a light to the nations? I live in a city where the, the nations are coming. We have um, one in four people in our city are migrant workers from other nations. We have over 100,000 refugees from over 50 nations that come to our city. How are we light to those? San Francisco is no different. You have the nations coming here every single day. How are you light to the nations? And then finally, we end where this chapter began. Arise, shine. We don't shine because we create the light. We are reflecting the light of God as he has pushed darkness out of your heart that you might shine that light to others. Now that we know God's plan for us, his people, we begin to live in this reality. He live, we live lives that reflect God's righteousness. And that's only possible because Jesus has lived the righteous life that we cannot live. We live in a city where most people around us have not seen, yet seen the light. Their world is in darkness. They may give you a smile, but still they're dealing with who knows what. Hunger, addictions, loneliness, troubled relationships, challenges in work. I pray that you, God uses you in our hurting cities to shine. Will you pray with me? Father, we celebrate the future that we are moving towards. So God, I pray that, um, I pray that that everyone in this room might come to a clear understanding of how you have made us righteous through Jesus. And God, that we would place our trust in Jesus and not in our own ways and not in the ways of others, but in your ways. God, I pray that you would orient our lives to live in a manner that glorifies you. That in our every interactions, whether it's while we are trying to find parking spaces, whether it's waiting in line for food, whether it's dealing with a disgruntled customer, God, that you would give us love that, that comes from, from beyond us, that comes from you. God, I pray that you would give us words that announce good news to those that have such little good news. God, we pray that you would use this church, that you would use churches all over the world to arise, to shine, that reflect your glory, and that the nations would come 
as a result. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.